Okay, welcome back to Bon Voyage, everybody. I'm Rob. I'm Adam. And our guest again, well, why don't you introduce Adam? <laughs> uh, well, this is my daddy-o. Returning guest from, uh, was it Moonraker? Yeah, it was Moonraker. Hi, everybody. That's right. Um, it's funny because the one we're watching today is For Your Eyes Only, which was in uh, original release order, the follow-up to Moonraker. Not in our chronology, but originally this was the regrounding from the bonkers trip to the moon, or not to the moon, to the space station in Moonraker. I don't know. Spies in space. It was great. Yeah, I <laughs> I mean, we've done so many of these. I can't really remember what your guys' feeling was. You guys both I mean, Adam, you enjoyed it more than I did, right? I think you, you've liked the Bonkers ones in general. I was into the, yeah, like Octopussy more so, but Moonraker was good too, yeah. Yeah, it was the yeah. whole Jaws and Dolly thing that was fantastic. <laughs> That's right, right. That was good, yeah. I uh, I remember liking the rest of the movie better than I remembered, and then it just goes off the rails as soon as they get to uh, <laughs> Drax's lair and head to space. But the rest of it was surprisingly grounded. So, uh, yeah, this movie was a course correction for the series because Moonraker was a success, but people thought it was a little outrageous. So they decided to do a much more grounded one. This is probably the most level of the Roger Moore ones. And uh, Doug, you said this was the first one you saw? Yeah, it was. It was the very first one I saw. Do you have uh, have you seen it much since or at all? I have not watched it since it came out in like in 1981. So this is going to be quite the treat. That's great. Uh, this is also John Glenn's first, Adam. We've seen now all but one of his. He did this one, Octopussy, View to a Kill, Living Daylights, and License to Kill. So this is his first, his directorial debut. Uh-huh. He was the editor on a lot of the previous films, and then this is the first one where he got to take the helm. Sweet. I Those are some of my favorite ones, the Octopussy and the Daltons. So yeah, yeah, this should be good. Have you been following along still, Doug? Yeah, I am completely up to date. I even watched uh, Shore Leave there. uh, Listen to it the other day. Nice, nice. I am completely up to date. Sweet. Have you watched any of the uh, movies as we've been going, or did you remember them at least? I remembered um, them all uh, in some fashion or other because uh, again, I've seen them all, including including Never Say Never, again. But uh, I haven't watched them um, as I was listening to the podcast. I've sort of left okay. that be and uh, take more of a nostalgic uh, uh, trip through. Nice. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about this sort of chronology that we're trying to do here, trying to actually make a career path for Bond? Is it working at all? <laughs> actually, it, it is. I'm actually quite, uh, I'm, I'm quite impressed with how well it's actually fitting together. And I'm... I'm I know how this is going to progress as we go through. So yeah, yeah, um, this really works for me. I was really happy with last week's going from uh, Majesty Secret Service to uh, License to Kill because of the vengeance and all that. And then this one, do you remember how this opens? This is sort of the way I'm framing it. This is the end of uh, if we had our first few episodes where he gets his double O status and all that and his first couple missions then we had a few specter missions then some roger moore ones this last bit was like the end of the blofeld chapter the tracy chapter from diamonds are forever till now completes that and then we're moving into uh another section of his career well this one actually starts where he's laying flowers at tracy's grave i think or something like yes. that yeah exactly so it, oh, so wow. it, it, really? it really <laughs> will feel uh like a sequel 
It's exactly it. Well, that, it wraps it up right in the. Sorry, Adam. Spoiler alert. That's the pre-title. That's okay. <laughs> it's immediately. That's the pre-title sequence to kind of wrap that up, and it kind of propels us into this next phase. Hmm. So that's a bit of the. I mean, that's our chronology context, and what I had said just before that was the release date context. I think it really sets up um, the whole idea of Bond's personal life. Uh, uh, be more and more damaged as his career progresses. Yeah, you know, he's losing Vespa and and then losing Tracy, right? He becomes more and more jaded, more and more spent. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. As we lead into, uh, well, there's this one, and the one thing that kind of doesn't work, and maybe we should have done this before, is. As it currently stands, we have the spy who loved me next, which is uh, a bit of a happier one. But maybe he eventually, after this mission, finally lightens up a bit as we get into the Brosnan ones. But it does explain why he's kind of cold with women. Uh, we go back into the ones where he meets them and then is totally like, there's not a lot of real love interests going forward. <laughs> not for a while, not till we get back to Craig. Hmm. So, yeah, because of this last loss, it's starting to make sense. So, yeah, what else were we talking about there before? Oh, uh, a long day at the office followed by a Bond movie. <laughs> it's a mixed bag, yeah. right? For I mean, I know we've talked about this a lot, Adam. I keep checking in on how you're doing, being that you weren't even a film guy, let alone a Bond guy, watching a movie a week. It's I was telling you earlier, it's even really starting to get to me. I'm getting a little bit of Bond fatigue. I, once we get started, I'm always into it. And already now I'm feeling it a lot more, but throughout the day, I'm like, wow, all right. It's a bit of a chore. <laughs> it's it's funny how I think at the beginning, like in a way, the watching the movie was the hard part, right? Because it was like new to me and I have to pay attention and take notes and, and all this stuff. And I was like learning the Bond language. Uh, but now it's like the movie is the fun part. For me, for sure. Yeah. Because I don't have to try so hard to, like, I pick up on things more easily and then... Sure, sure. Um, we take a lot fewer notes and we're a lot more used to this format now. And we don't, mm-hmm. we improvise a lot more. We don't necessarily need to follow a strict format. Exactly. Do you uh, typically watch a movie at the end of the day? Do you, Doug, do you watch movies during the week or only on the weekends? Or is this uh, Well, I, is this different? I, I, I'm, I'm an IT worker, right? So I'm in front of a screen all day long. Sure. Right? So by and large, I don't spend a lot of time in front of the screen in, in, during the evenings, although I will from time to time. Um, but usually I'm so burnt out that it's short attention span theater. Right, right. right. Um, but I do like to take the time on a rainy day or on a weekend. That's when I want to sit down and really enjoy a film. Yeah. So you know, although occasionally like a Friday night, it's 9 o'clock at night and I'm putting in John Wick or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of like this. Uh, I've actually been more into. I go through phases where I watch like binge shows or watch a bunch of movies. Lately, shows have been too daunting. Unless I found like a new one that's a weekly show, I really miss weekly shows. But people recommend these shows that have like seven seasons, and I'm like, I I can't do it. Like a nice two hour movie, I love it. Yeah, I'm about uh, ready to get into the Arrowverse, but I really know that there's a thousand hours of television in order to get through that entire shared universe. And it's like, I want to do it, but I don't want to start. Yeah, yeah, totally. My partner keeps recommending it. She really wants to watch uh, Doctor Who, and there's so much there, and I just can't get into it. Yeah. I find uh, shows are kind of, it's like chips or something, right? Like you can just, you can just take one and eat it, right? (laughs) And then... You, you think like, oh, I'm not, I can't eat a whole bag, 
but then you do because yeah. you can just take one at a time or a few at a time. Oh yeah. Where movies, you have to take the whole bag at a time. Usually, there's so there's some movies movie. that you can spread out over a night or two. Uh, yeah, I've never done. I don't think I've done that. Like watched part of a movie and then came back. No, we'll do it often. Like especially lately, like uh, the Irishman was four and a half hours long, or that uh, <laughs> the Snyder yeah. cut of the Justice League movie was over four hours. Like watching that in two parts is fine. Something well, like that. Well, sure. the Snyder's uh, Snyder cut was actually good because it was actually broken into into sure. acts. You could actually do that very easily. Yeah, for sure. And I'll do it with really long movies I've seen before. It's not to be recommended, obviously. The, the way it's intended is to watch it all in one go. Um, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I, this probably happened to you guys, too. You mentioned the chip analogy with shows. Uh, <laughs> you're, like, sitting there on a weeknight. You don't want to invest in a whole movie. Like, ah, I don't want two hours. But instead, you watch three episodes of a show that are an hour each. You actually end up spending more yeah. time. Because of these freaking cliffhangers. Exactly. But the threshold is lower because you could just watch one. And I think also a movie being self-contained, if you miss something, yeah, you missed it, right? Where in a show, they... Recaps. Maybe you could back, say yeah. it's like hold, holding holding your hand or doing recaps or whatever. But it's more like there's less uh, pressure on each individual moment. Well, there's story structure too, right? I mean, there's... I mean, both movies and television shows roughly follow a three-act narrative structure, right? Typically, yeah. More or less. Um, but, I mean, it's compressed to an hour, but you get through an entire show and you've had an entire experience. Whereas right. a movie, you're going through a lot of rising action uh, before you get to a payoff, right? Yeah, especially in these ones. <laughs> <laughs> and all over the place. Uh I was just going to look at the runtime for this one. You said they upped the runtime for No Time to Die. Yes. Just yesterday I saw that. I saw it on Twitter and then I checked for myself. It was at around two hours and 40 minutes. It's now two hours and 54 minutes. By far the longest Bond movie so far. That's in, that's in dangerous territory for uh, splitting it into two movies like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's getting up there. Like, Could you imagine? People don't like that length, but uh, I'm super excited. The hardcore Bond fans will be really excited. As long as it's not all like, well, like you've, we keep going back to live and let die. As long as there's no 20 minute boat chases. If it's, you know, yeah. it, it's his uh, swan song. It's Daniel Craig's, like he saved this franchise. Give him his movie. If it's really good and really well acted and a great story, I'm, I'm so pumped. <laughs> I will probably be seeing it. Like back to back, <laughs> even though it's three hours, I'll probably go back on Saturday. <laughs> uh, Spectre apparently was the second longest so far. I, I knew that he had the shortest one. Oh, really? Uh, Quantum's the shortest. It's only an hour and forty-three or something like that. It's pretty short, and uh, he so he'll have the longest one and the shortest one. Yeah, this one's two hours and eight minutes. That's not so bad. The last couple have been longer. Yeah, like Honor Majesty's was quite long. Right? Yeah, it's two twenty-five. Yeah. So shall we go watch it? I'm psyched. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm Sounds pretty good. So uh, before we forget, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, 007 Bon Voyage, or email us at 007 Bon Voyage at gmail.com. And we'll be right back to discuss for your eyes only. See you soon. Rob, focus. Get back to where you were. Test, motherfucker. Test. Motherfucker test. Rock, focus. Test, motherfucker test. Rock, focus.
focus. Get back to where you were. And we are back. Yes, we are. First thoughts, people. How are you feeling on this wonderful warm Tuesday? <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Uh, how about you, Doug? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Great. Adam? I could not, for the life of me, keep my focus oh, no. on this movie. <laughs> But I, I I know it was good. Like, I liked it. I blame myself. I have only myself to blame. That is really funny. You'll have to give this one a rewatch then. For sure. Sorry, Doug, I interrupted you. Oh, uh, no, I just, I had a lot of fun. Like, the, the movie was pretty much exactly like I remember it. Um, um, it, it was, it's clearly dated, of course. <laughs> well, right? extremely so. Yeah. Um but uh, it is it is exactly what I want out of a Roger Moore Bond film. Yeah, it's uh, pretty sure it's still my favorite Roger Moore for like an actual decent one. I still really, really like I think I would put a view to a kill on before just because that's so much fun and so silly. But this is my favorite hmm. decent one. It has fewer completely outrageous things than a lot of the other Rogies. Uh, so, Adam, did you not catch, like, what, do, I don't know, are you confused by it? How much did you miss? And, hey, this is fair. That happens often to me. So, if if this is the first one where you yeah. didn't follow the plot after 17, that's really, really not bad. It's it's funny because it's, I followed the plot. Like, I, I, I did, like, read through the summary at the end. There was, like, I think the thing I missed was when they figured out that it was Christatos with the mines. Uh I missed that. But other than that, I followed the rest of it fine. Uh, it was just the, like, I think, like, the cha- there's too many chase scenes and action scenes that are just went on for a long time. It's true. They really did. Um, if you read the, do you have a summary there rather than us trying to just think yeah. of one? Do you want to re- do a brief summary? We'll do uh, the Wikipedia one. I-, I will make an abridged Wikipedia summary. Okay, go for, for it. That. So it starts off with the British information gathering vessel, the St. George, and it has an ATAC on it, the Automatic Targeting Attack Communicator, which is kind of the main pivot point of the whole plot of the movie. Um, So it it sinks because they accidentally fished up an old mine. Uh, And then they, the government or whatever, recruits a marine archaeologist, Sir Timothy Havelock, to help them locate it, like, you know, discreetly, uh, the wreckage or whatever. And then him and his wife are murdered by Cuban hitman Hector Gonzalez, and then Melina, their daughter, witnesses that. And that's all in the pre-title, right? No, no, no that's, uh, that's the initial uh, pre- first yeah. first act, the, the inciting incident, if you will. Pre- yes. Yeah, pre-title is uh, non-plot. It's like, a, that's just wrapping up Blofeld. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll after. get into that after. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So Melina witnesses her parents' brutal murder. Uh, <laughs> awful. Um, head of the KGB, Mr. Gogol here, General Gogol, he notified his contact in Greece, uh, James Bond. Uh, Emma's out, so he talks to the Minister of Defense or whatever, and they're like, go get the ATAC, go get the information because it's important (laughs) like very important like this thing could make them like fire missiles on themselves or something yeah if it's in the wrong hands uh so he goes to spy on gonzalez this is the cuban hitman 
that goes to spy on him, gets captured, but then he gets, Gonzalez gets killed by a crossbow bolt, uh, finds that that's Melina, the daughter of the people who were killed. Um, they escape. Then Bond uses Q's, uh, what do you call it, N64 character creation screen <laughs> gadget to basically do a sketch and find out that this person uh, who paid off Gonzalez was Emile Leopold Luck. Uh, so they go to his possible base in Cortina. He meets his buddy Luigi, who connects him with Cristatos, who says that Locke is this guy Columbo, known as the Dove. And we end up seeing a bunch of Dove pins everywhere to kind of confuse things. And yeah, anyway. This Columbo guy is uh, a bad dude by the sounds of things. Or is he? Yeah, it's like a heroin smuggler or something. Yeah. Uh, and so Cristatos and Columbo were old war buddies basically and they have quote-unquote gone on different paths since uh there's a little baby figure skater (laughs) through this baby bb uh baby bb uh and that's also kind of how we get introduced to some east german biathlete eric kriegler yeah and then they try to chase down bond that's a whole big chase scene i look away but charles dance was in it so it was probably cool after a chase scene on the ski hills uh we get to go to Corfu to look for Columbo. Meet, meet up with Christatos again there, who says, like, oh, look over there, that's that's Columbo. And then there's some kind of dispute between Columbo and his countess, and Bond goes to escort her home and get more information or whatever. They sleep together, of course. And since they slept together, she gets killed uh, by Locke and the crew. Quite brutally. Then what happens? <laughs> yeah. Run over by a doom buggy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And then Bond gets picked up by Columbo's people at this point, uh, like captured by them. And then they are like, yo, it was actually Christatos. That's the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I love pistachios. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll prove it to you. And then they take Bond to Christatos opium processing warehouse where they find mines that are similar to one that actually sank that vessel in the beginning. Which that was the part I missed. After the base is destroyed, Bond chases Locke and kills him. Then Bond <laughs> goes and meets up with Melina in her father's beloved temple underwater. Where we get a cool uh, HVAC commercial. Um, they take their little research submarine and they go to the wreckage. Because uh, using her father's logs, they find out the location of it. They retrieve the ATAC, but are attacked of course, during that. Anyway, they get away, but then when they come back to the boat, it's been taken by Christatos people. And then they, of course, take the long way around trying to kill them and do it in a really dumb way that doesn't work. Looks cool, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone breaks off. The Christatos people are trying to take the... They get the ATAC, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're trying to go meet up and give it to General Gogol. Uh, and then this is where the parrots parroting comes in <laughs> and it has heard that they're taking it to saint cyril's chekhov's parrot so, yeah exactly yeah so <laughs> and then we get a, a good quip from q being like there's 447 saint cyril's in greece which is funny yeah but, uh, that's where colombo comes back he knows the one because they're old war buddies uh and then they have some kind of hit squad breaking into the it's a, some like impossible to get to monastery but they get there 
<laughs> they, you know, fight the henchmen, they fight the other guy, they, instead of giving the attack to General Gogol, who shows up at the end, he just throws it off the cliff, gets some kind of comrade salute, and then, you know, we get the old um, <laughs> Bond sleeping with Melina, and then the parrot talking to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, could have done without that. Roll credits. Yeah. Okay. So, with the plot, I think the only question I have... Are- it was actually an accident all along. Like they accidentally fished that mine in. They weren't attacked. No, I think the whole thing with the mines being part of Christato's base was that it was not an accident. Yeah, that's what I figured. Because so they sank and Christato's didn't know where they were exactly. Like why didn't after he sank it? Why didn't they go get the attack before Bond went to find it? That's a good question. Don't read too much into this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie. I know. I like to make sense of it after I've seen it a dozen times. I sh- okay, I did have a story I wanted to say about this one. Uh, it's not one I saw a bunch as a kid. Um, a few years ago when I had a different job, uh, on Thursday nights, I would take my dog for a really long, like late walk after my partner at the time went to bed and I would have a drink or possibly something else. And I came home not sober once and I threw on For Your Eyes Only. And this friggin' pre-title sequence was so bonkers that I thought I had a doctored copy that like a fan made. (laughs) (laughs) It was so crazy. And whatever the hell Blofeld was saying was so nuts. I actually, like I had no memory of having seen this movie and it was so friggin' weird that I didn't think there was any way it was legitimate. I had to like stop it and double check, and I like went to YouTube to look at the pre-title sequence. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think it was actually a big fu, is what it, what it was. That's how I took it too. Yeah, yeah I, because because of a legal dispute with Eon and whatever, right? I think it was just a big fu. We don't need Blofeld moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck your old villain, dude. We don't need this shit. Exactly. It was definitely an fu to. Uh, What's his name? Sal- Harry Saltzman, who had just left and stole Blofeld. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the... Uh, I may have interrupted something when I went on to that story, but uh, <laughs> we could talk about the pre-title sequence a bit more. Did you like him visiting Tracy's grave, Adam? That was a nice connection. I did, wouldn't expect that. Like, because... So with your ordering here, we had a reference to him being married in the previous one, uh, License to Kill. Yeah. And then this one, there's a, a very blatant reference to specifically tracy yeah exactly uh, yeah. but this was literally lazenby's only bond movie like 10 20 years ago at this point like well 12 12 years ago just 12 in, years, in, uh, 12 in, years. Movie, in movie time because that was very clear because the uh the date on the gravestone was 1969 when uh her majesty's came out right yeah exactly okay yeah 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 it, it's just interesting that yeah like they would reference it like because there how many movies were in between like six or seven between Majesties and this one, there was four. No, five, because of Diamonds Are Forever. So Diamonds Are Forever yeah. and then the first four Rajis. So there were five in between. And I think it was a part of their effort to reground it, right? Because mm-hmm. of the bonkers Moonraker. So they wanted to uh, set the stage for something a bit more serious and somber. Like you're going to see Bond actually kill a few guys in this one. Although they still couldn't help themselves. Like they, they do that, the nice little flower on the grave scene followed immediately by that 
like there was great stunts in the pre-title sequence that helicopter stuff was really cool and whoever was hanging from that helicopter did an awesome job and great camera work and cool model work but the friggin bond and then into a or sorry blofeld and into a smoke staff it's just so silly <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah it, it, it belonged there about as much as the thatcher scene at the end exactly yeah, yeah it's yeah. really weird in an otherwise so pr- kooky pretty grounded <laughs> i mean he, you know he's roger moore he's still gonna have a few of those quirks and stuff and the a few one-liners and that cheeky grin of his but mostly it was mm-hmm. uh it lacked that stuff that we had seen certainly in moonraker and that we'll see in the next two after this but it, it works for me i i still think the uh the kind of kooky you know one-liner quippy funny stuff was my favorite part of this oh in yeah a lot of ways yeah. well did you like did you like him being a bit more serious at times did you like the uh so there's a bunch of controversy over when he like some people hate that roger moore kicked the car when he knocked Locke off the cliff and um hmm. even and roger moore himself really didn't like it that worked it totally worked yeah yeah I think you saw I said that on Twitter, Adam, especially in the way we watched it coming off uh, Majesties and then License to Kill and uh, seeing this other woman who probably reminded him of Tracy coming in and playing a a bit of Shimon Fair like that. And then, uh, well, she was a countess and Tracy went as Contessa, but whatever. She had to remind him of Tracy and then to have Locke brutally kill her like that. I think it was justified. For sure, yeah. He was definitely angry. He was definitely angry about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah we don't see Raji angry very often. He's usually just unfazed no matter what. Yeah. Um, did you care for the song, Adam? Yeah, it was a cool song. I thought the title sequence was pretty cool, like very artsy. Yeah. You know? Sheena Easton was quite the uh, sex symbol back in the day. Like oh, That yeah? was actually one of the things you were uh, attracted to by this song. In this movie, it was it was her, right, right. And they brought that in throughout the movie quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this one and the one before, well, the one we're going to watch next week, uh, and a few of the Roger ones. Those are like the peak title sequences, in my opinion. They had some really cool, artful ones, and yeah, I dig that song. It sticks in your head. <laughs> it really, uh, mm. I liked it because the soundtrack for the whole movie was well, it was. It was the guy that did rock the Rocky movies. Did oh, the really? Soundtrack, yeah, Bill Conti. He did all you know the, all the Rocky fight montages and stuff like that. Same guy. Oh, so all all of that mm-hmm. disco-y kind of uh, music. That was that was it. And it actually, I went and googled it right away because I recognized that. Oh yeah, this is Rocky stuff. And oh yeah, of course mm-hmm. it is because it's the same guy. <laughs> I. I hadn't really noticed the score much aside from when the For Your Eyes Only song would come up or a version of it until they were in that submarine thing getting the ATAC and that really cool different version of the Bond theme kicked in. And you're right, it is a little disco-y. Yeah, the uh, Peugeot car chase at the start was where it really stood out. Right. Well, let's talk about that for a sec. So you didn't like any of the – did you care for the chases or you just zoned out like usual, Adam? Yeah, man, I I don't know what was with me today. I could not <laughs> pay attention to it. That's funny. I mean, it was a bit of a long day, but uh, yeah, I want. So in License to Kill, they had a uh, 
a car chase that did a similar thing where they they're like going down a hill that has like a walk back or whatever like zigzags down a hill quantum has one um live and let die i think there's another one they do that a lot the chases that go down a hill and the car one of the cars will like take the shortcut and smash into one of the ones that's actually taking the road it's funny how often they do that you know it's funny in this movie there was actually a mirror of that car chase it was a car chase of the start down the hill with the peugeot right and then later on you know in the third act of the movie where um What's his face? Geekler or whatever it is, is uh, driving the car down the hill and, and, and uh, Bond is like running up the steps oh, yeah. to go meet him, right? So it was an interesting point of mirror, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, when Locke so, was going up. Yeah, Locke was yeah, going yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's funny you mentioned that. That was the only scene besides some of the close-ups when you can kind of see how old he is. But it was almost like they were making a joke how they kept cutting back to him running up the steps. You can almost hear him huffing and puffing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time I read really- Monty Python and the Holy Grail when Lancelot is running towards the uh, the, the castle and he's, he's running and he's running and he's running cut back to people watching him he's running he's running he's running he's running cut back to people watching him running he's there exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so funny yeah yeah the other chase the skiing one there's a really mm-hmm. weird moment when he gets to the top of the uh, like the ski jump thing and Locke is behind him and has the pistol on him. And it looks like Kriegler's down at the bottom, ready to snipe him. And then he just goes anyway. Charles Dance kind of knocks into him. Like, they all just screw up. Like, they have him surrounded. There's three of them. And he doesn't really do anything special. Like, there's this buildup. Like, you expect he's going to do something cool. And, like, nothing happened. And then they just kept the chase going. It was a really weird, like, editorial fault, I found. Like, I don't know if you guys That's noticed like- that the issue with some of the chases like that like i feel like again i can like look away and look back and i don't miss anything like there's no plot to it like i love when there's actually i don't like i don't mind action scenes if there's like some plot that to moves it, the plot it, along yeah matters yeah 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 i don't know we kind of got <laughs> a little bit of plot development in that one with uh like what do you think bb and kriegler's past is <laughs> He total, she's she like clearly met him at some point. I, I'm mostly making a joke because they don't matter at all to the plot. Kind of that's actually making your point that they don't. Uh, these action scenes really don't matter. And then I don't know, like, did the Olympics just happen? Because we had skiing, bobsled, hockey. Like, is this in the middle of the Winter Olympics? That's a, that's another one I looked up. The um, in Cortina in Italy, the Olymp- Winter Olympics were in 1956. So okay. there was a lot of Olympic grounds there that was still used, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, it was a quite a bit of quite a while ago, and, and yes, the facilities looked dated, but they were supposed to be. The hockey scene is another one of those moments, like the parrot and Thatcher and the <laughs> Blofeld. That just didn't make any sense. Who the hell was ringing the horn every time a hockey player would? It, just it was silly. It was automatic, right? Like a sensor or something. Yeah. It, it was okay. cute. It was cute. It gave... Yeah. It was a... The Zamboni kill. You <laughs> yeah. know, it, it's funny when you have intense action scenes, a little bit of comic relief at the end. I mean, that's done on purpose, right? Right. But uh, even if it doesn't fit, though, like it's... Uh. See, see, that's the kind of thing I like. Like, it's just like short, like, oh, here's like a funny way of doing this fight scene. And then we move on. Right. We don't just like... There's not like drawn out scenes of like jumps or like fighting or like it's just like just do it and then move forward. 
It's actually pretty great that it worked out that you and I like the opposite things in these movies. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. I just wanted to ask you more about Raji in this, aside from the darker stuff. You haven't really, you've liked his movies a bit for the silliness, but you haven't really taken to him yet. Did you like him any more in this? Was he too old? (laughs) He's always too old, like... There was, I think when he's wearing like a ski helmet or a scuba suit or something, like you just see like a little bit of his face. I was like, who is that leather purse in a <laughs> wetsuit? Um, and yeah, his his like stunt yeah. double is almost too good. He's so fast on those skis. <laughs> like when Raji's running, he runs slow. And then this guy's like jumping and doing flips. It's, it's a bit much. I, I did like, I like him as a Bond though. You're right. Like there was the, the scene with BB. Where he's like, you know, obviously you're a child. I'm not going to, like, sleep with you or whatever. Thank God, eh? Finally. Like, I don't know if Sean Connery would have turned her down. Oh, no. No, definitely not. Yeah, well, that felt a little um, deliberate, right? The whole BB thing felt quite deliberate. I mean, there's this whole bestial test, right, for feminism in movies, you know, where, you know, the big test is... Are there two named women in a film that have a conversation with each other that's not about a man? Right. Yeah. Um, right. And um, in a lot of movies, like most movies, actually fail that test. Right. Yeah. This movie actually passes that test. Right. And it's because BB exists and she's arguing with her trainer. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, that scene saves BB, in my opinion. I like yeah. when she argue, argues with the trainer. I like when Cristados comes in and she's just like, I know what you want, but you're too gross and old. <laughs> I want that other gross and old guy who's a little bit cooler than you. (laughs) Yeah, all of it is all of that is weird. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's yeah, it's odd. No way around it. And she's not a good actress. It's just it's cringy, and she does look so friggin' young. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, and 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 not material to the plot of the movie. Not whatsoever. No. No. Total side thing. Yeah. Like it, it. Besides adding to Bond's character development a little bit, that he's a bit more mature, that he's not just sleeping with everybody, but it doesn't add to Christados's, uh character much. Like, why does he need to have a, uh, some young figure skater that he sponsors? Yeah, especially like we get the other Bond girl and the Countess and stuff. Like, right. It seems like there must have been like some kind of point to this. Like, maybe it's, like, trying to... Like, like why would they add it in? Is it to make Bond's character, yeah, like, seem more moral or, like... Maybe. Some she, kind of Bechdel test thing? Yeah, I don't know. She was pretty famous, the woman who played BB, I think. Well, she was, in a, she was an Olympian. Oh, there you go. Okay. Just oh, a cameo okay. situation. It was like when VJ was in Octopussy. Yeah. Tennis player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I actually found a couple interesting pieces to this movie that were neat. Was the was the two B stories, right? So there's the the B story of Melina's B story, of course, which is the complete revenge plot, which was, which was good and authentic yeah. and felt felt real. Yeah, totally. And and the other one, of course, was told in backstory, which was the uh, the um, Christophos and um, Columbo's backstory about being uh, war, war buddies mm. who went different paths mm. and ended up being competitors. Like rivals there's a sto- yeah, rivals. There's a story there that we that they were very nicely they just hinted at. They didn't blabber it, but mm. it was there, and you could read between the lines and pick up that whole that whole B story. 
Totally. Yeah. I really like yeah. that too. Like this was well written. Yeah. It's just a few, there's a few little flaws like we're, like we're touching on, but yeah, like that stuff you don't get in a lot of bond movies, these little B plots, especially with the, the main bond woman having her own little revenge story. You got yeah. a little bit of that in Goldfinger with one of the Masterson sisters coming to get revenge for her sister, but she dies so That's quick. Right. Do you know if this one is based very closely off the book? I, or? I was just going to, I actually made a note before I even started the movie. I was going to talk about that in the short story or sorry, in the, in the intro, it's based off a short story, one of Fleming's short stories. And it's one of my favorite. It'd be my favorite if it was a full novel, but it's quite short. It's uh, instead of them at sea, they're down in Jamaica. It's uh, this guy who's trying to buy up all the property somewhere down there, and the Havelocks refuse to leave, so they kill them while Melania, while Melina is visiting, and then she swears revenge on them. And Bond and they're friends with M. I think it's the most of this plot's not there. It's just M wants uh, to find out who murdered his friends, so sends Bond to investigate it. And at the same time, she's trying to track them down. And what's cooler mm-hmm. about it is uh, the people who the assassin, instead of being from where was he from? This Hector guy, Cuba. Or Greece? Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, no, uh, Spain. 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 Okay. Um, he was hiding out in Vermont, I think, or somewhere near Canada anyway. And Bond, it's one of the few times Bond flies into Ottawa and with the help of an undercover mm-hmm. RCMP, like gets like a hunting rifle and a bunch of hunting gear and hikes over the border and through the woods. And it's a really cool little story. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's Canada, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, We've never had Bond in Canada. He he almost came in one of them, Thunderball, or you only. I, I think forget. it was Thunderball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that would have been pretty fun. He like it's it's a solo Bond story for the most part. It's just him hiking through the woods and then setting up a like a sniper's perch at this compound, and then she goes and kills him before he can. It's pretty neat. So it's not the rest of it's not loyal. <laughs> to the book, but that mm-hmm. one storyline is the Cristados and Columbo storyline sort of reminds me of Draco in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, how he was like a competing criminal with uh, Blofeld. Mm. Do you remember I that? I remember Tra- that. Tracy's dad, who was like mostly going yes. legitimate, but also was a criminal. Like Columbo was actually. Uh, a smuggler, right? Like he wasn't all on the up and up. No, I think he was. Yeah, that's right. He was like smuggling pistachios. <laughs> he loves his pistachios. Yeah. I had a weird moment in the beginning where uh, when when Melina brought the pistachios and she was going to go give them to Max, for some reason I thought that was her brother, but it was the <laughs> parrot. So I was really confused for a while. I was like, where's where's Max? Like, when, when's he coming back? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Check Chekhov's parrot. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you think about, uh, you mentioned Charles Dance, uh, and so there's him, he played Klaus, and then there was Locke and Kriegler. We had like three hench people who were all pretty great. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice, uh, how did Charles Dance go? I must have looked down, taken a note. Well, that's the thing I missed. I like looked up, uh, I saw, I saw him like he does this like kind of stare when you first see him. And I was like, who's that actor? And then I looked up who it was. And then I didn't watch like most of that chase scene, really. I, <laughs> so, oh, that's I funny. I really wanted to get a picture of him with Cristados and like 
uh, for Instagram or something, talk about a Game of Thrones reunion. It's funny because the mm-hmm. roles were reversed. Uh, in Game of Thrones, Pycelle was Tywin Lannister's guy. And in this one, Charles Dance is uh, whatever his name was, Klaus, was Christados's guy. It was funny to see, yeah, like Charles Dance is like Tywin Lannister, like a huge role in Game of Thrones. And now he's just like the other guy yeah. skiing. Or whatever. The third tier uh, hench person. Yeah. Basically a foot yeah. soldier. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Locke was pretty cool, and Kriegler is a fan favorite for some reason. He doesn't do a whole lot. He just looks badass, and he he's very strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that felt almost inappropriately strong. Yeah, like, for this movie, yeah. his abs of steel <laughs> and yeah. picking up a and he dirt just, like, bike, picked up stuff. <laughs> yeah, what he like threw his gun and the bike. It's like you you're not gonna like run over or something like. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really weird choice. And it didn't really, oh exp- did it? Or like, was I not paying attention that it explained that the Russians were like uh, doing experiments on them, like making a sort of super soldier thing? Because in another movie, uh, I don't, do you remember uh, View to a Kill, Doug? Yep. Because like Mayday is really strong. She can pick people up over her shoulder because they were like doing experiments on her to enhance her strength or whatever. So they sort of explain it. It's still a little nonsensical, but at least there's a line of dialogue explaining it. I don't know that they did that with this one. No, I don't remember that. that I, don't remember, no. I don't remember that at all. I mean, yeah. yes, Cole, it was part of the Cold War lore, right? Yeah. Uh, because remember that um, this wasn't all that far off from when um, Rocky Three came out and we had, um, you know, Dolph Lundgren's character. The super- Ivan Drago. Yeah, super athletes and all that. So this was this was a common thing, right? Right. And there was also the boycott of the LA Olympics because of the Russians and all of that. So sure, sure. This is on the heels of all of that stuff. World context. Right. It's funny that you mention that because we often talk about how awesome it is in these movies that it doesn't usually end up being Russia's the bad guy or or China's the bad guy. It's it's seldom propaganda like that it's usually a rogue general or a capitalist or whatever some kind of evil industrialist but in this case uh, i know it was mostly christados but gogol totally sent this kriegler guy in to get this thing like russia is playing a part in this one and he totally was um you know giving word back to to his 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 boss that hey yeah you won't be linked to all this we're just going to do this thing right right so this was completely sanctioned by the russian government sort of the ussr government yeah that mm-hmm. i can't think of another time that actually happens cuz like in the next one in octopussy it's a it's a rogue general and gogol is actively trying to stop uh this rogue general yeah i was going to say the other times we've seen gogol he's just like yeah like not he's not the other side of it like he's he's, he's just it. m's yeah. counterpart trying to stop the world going to war typically yeah gogol's office had a weird set oh we isn't that to, great <laughs> like it was just him at his table yeah. and then this, this it was like it was like a stage setup right and then this lit corner where his secretary was yeah yeah that's in uh i think it's also in the spy who loved me which we'll watch next week. I've seen that before. It is in other movies. It's pretty It's pretty funny. Like the British version is this hoity-toity, overly intellectual thing with like the bust of Churchill on the fire mantle and all these <laughs> books and like the leather-bound door. And then Gogol's just in this bleak, sterile, black room with like a chair and a lamp in the back yeah. with no other furniture. <laughs> yeah. 
So that is how all the like Russian war rooms are depicted. Yeah. Sometimes they're a bit more. There's a bit more light and a lot more red. This one was just yeah black, and I, I think you're onto something there, Doug. It does have something to do with the peak of the Cold War here, where like. People didn't want to see Russia be the good guy. <laughs> no, not at all. There was another, was a Clint Eastwood movie out around the same time, Firefox. Okay, yeah. I I'm not familiar with that one. Where he basically sneaks into Russia, steals an experimental plane, and flies it home. Mm -hmm. Right? So there was a lot of this kind of theme uh, motif around there. Right. Yeah, there. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that 81 was the peak, like we're... 20 years almost out from the Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff. Like, there were a lot scarier times, but through the 60s and 70s Bond movies, they never really depict Russia like this. Well, I think it's a peak Hollywood uh, of the Cold War, right? Sure. Hmm. Right, there right. Were all kinds of, like, Red Dawn, all kinds of these things that were under that time. Red October was a few years later. But that, that was a few years later, but yeah. That was late 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the uh, well, no, Die Hard was Germans. Later on, they kept the, they kept them going through the nineties too. The Russians were the bad guys until nine eleven, and then it was Arabs for a while. Now we're back to the Russians. <laughs> yeah, those Amer well, the West don't care much for uh, Russia for the communists. <laughs> That's right. Something about the – I just noticed when you were doing the plot summary, talking about the ATAC, another uh, comparison to other Bond movies. See if you can think of another one. But the ATAC and then there was the Solex Agitator and the Man with the Golden Gun, uh, the Lecter yeah. in From Russia with Love. There's often yeah. a device that they're after, eh? Yeah, the, the, a MacGuffin of sorts. Yeah, exactly. Always a MacGuffin, yeah. Yeah. Even Thunderball, they were after like those nukes. Well, I was going to say, it's either like a vessel – so, like, the spacecraft was stolen. Moonraker. Uh, yeah. Moonraker uh, that's the plot of Spy Love Me. Or a big weapon. Or, yeah, a small device like this that will just help intelligence of one side or the other. And, and this was, like, a combo of small device and also, like, there was a shipwreck. A British vessel somewhere has gone down. Which is also sort of like in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. They had that weird little device that messes with the GPS or whatever. I mean, the stakes were pretty high here, though. Uh, global positioning system. Yes. <laughs> yes. GPS, the global positioning system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did they mention stakes in this one? I guess Russia was going to have this thing and do who knows yeah, what. Yeah, they could it. shoot missiles on them. Yeah, well, it was basically the, the encryption codes for the entire British fleet. So, right. yeah, the stakes were pretty high. Well, that justifies how the stupid little... ATAC completely exploded in slow-mo when Bond threw it off the cliff. <laughs> it, it, that, that was a great example of how slow they take some of these shots and stuff. Like, he threw it off the cliff, and it fell for, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. And then it hit a rock. And blew like, up. Like, I, I was surprised yeah. there wasn't flame coming out of it. Well, that just, that just <laughs> says what, how strong Roger Moore's arm is, that he can whip something <laughs> yeah, so far yeah. off. That's funny. There you go. Uh, the other, uh, baddie, oh, just Locke, but I guess we kind of talked about him. He deserved to die. He was kind of cool and quiet and sinister a bit. Yeah, he didn't really say anything, right? No, like normally your bad guys, like Kriegler filled like the red Grant, like the big, scary yeah. blonde guy who, what was the, the blonde buff guy? Yeah. Necros from living daylights. <laughs> and yeah, this one's a bit different, much more. Yeah. I don't know. He, he seemed more scary actually. With those yeah. 
uh, octagon glasses. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of um, you know the, the the classic German villain, right? That you that you mm-hmm. again something that you saw a lot of the movies of the day. If there was if there was a German villain, it had to have the octagon glasses and be uh, Aryan looking. Oh yeah, right? like uh, Buddy from um, uh, Raiders. Yeah, like the guy exactly. who, who who tortures uh, Marianne, the guy who had his like hand burned. Yeah, he had those same glasses. That's funny. Hmm. And, and the same blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, totally. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Locke didn't have blonde hair, right? It was. Oh, you're right. It was brown, guy, yeah. as as we yeah. saw with the N64 character thing. Yeah. <laughs> you That's knew, right. yeah, you yeah. knew what I was saying, Adam. That's totally what it looked like when you build like a like on a wrestling game or anything where you can create your own character. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, totally. It was just like what a like ridiculous gadget, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't even. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're just showing off that they're maybe in '81. That was really impressive. But like, yeah, yeah, you'd have to have such a good memory to, you know, to use that. Yeah, like, like he got one he... quick look at him. <laughs> yeah, blue eyes, no grayer. I got one word for you, Tron. Tron. It was kind of Tron. It is. Well, I mean, Tron. again, same. Was that era. right then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bond likes to be uh, topical. Current. One with the times, current. Yeah, it's all uh, contemporary for its time. The. Other than that, I kind of well. Even with that, I didn't hate it. It's not like in uh, Octopussy when he has the uh, the camera watch and zooms in on the woman's cleavage. Like it wasn't that oh egregious. My, I like, forgot about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's been much worse Q scenes. I kind of liked his lab in this one, and I like I really liked Q's uh, beard disguise. I was gonna say the confessional Q was yeah. pretty. <laughs> Something else. I enjoyed that a lot. It reminded me of uh, Chief Quimby or from the Inspector Gadget. You right, know, basically right. hiding in a garbage can or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. That's funny. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of Q uh, in the field. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love Q. Yeah, yeah, he's the best. He had a nice disguise in License to Kill, too. I don't know if we talked about that when he just threw away his, like, uh, broom. What was he using? A rake walkie-talkie? Oh, yeah. No, it was like a broom. Yeah, yeah. And he just threw it away when he was done. Yeah. Um, there was another like uh, gadgety. Uh, no, it wasn't a gadgety thing. I guess it's a stunt where uh, Bond is getting away and he uses like some parasol to like float down off the edge. That was just like the umbrella out of a, one of the yeah, tables yeah. right right in the first chase, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like a Princess yeah. Peach move in like Smash Brothers. Oh, is it? That's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't gadget heavy at all, though. No, like, no, this was a pretty grounded movie that way. Yeah, very action and stunts based. Yeah, totally. There were some greats. The goofiest gadget I saw was used by the villain, which was that stupid uh, robot underwater suit. Oh, oh my, my god! Gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wrote that underwater space suit. <laughs> That's what yeah. I wrote down. That- which, incidentally, we saw in the Albania Opium Factory. Uh, that was our. Or a cue that it was going to be used um, somewhere. Yeah, a right? little foreshadowing there. Yeah, yeah, it looked ridiculous, and he like yeah. punched her in the head in slow mo, and it, it looked so silly. And and he like that suit had little claws on it, right? Yeah. yeah. And then and then afterwards, they were in the sub, uh, having a sub fight where he had claws on the sub too. Yeah, that's the one where I <laughs> I stopped paying attention. I really liked the ski yeah. chase. Like there was uh, when they went through the bobsled thing. That stunt was incredible. Like. 
dirt biking and skiing through a bobsled ice or whatever, like that's very impressive. But yeah, anything mm. underwater ever since Thunderball, I just zone right out. <laughs> it, although yeah. the, uh, I forget which novel it's from, but the being dragged behind the boat, that's out of one of the books. I think it might be Live and Let Die. So I really like that. That's a pretty, as far as like the Bond killing, or sorry, the villain killing Bond in a really stupid way and an unsure way. I kind of like that one. It was basically yeah. a guarantee. Like, uh, it was pretty fluky that they managed to get away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a pretty cool stunt as well there. Um, I know I get really bored from it, but the underwater cameras were really, I don't know if it was just my Blu-ray copy or what, but some of the close ups, like it looks really good. I, I found the scene with, um, where they're cleaning the temple and he first goes to meet her again. That was really nice. Yeah. That's like that's, fish going by. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I found and, that and really that's cool. That's when the score is doing uh for your eyes only. That's right. Thing. And they're sort of falling in love, <laughs> I guess. Apparently, apparently those close up, she didn't do any of those scenes underwater. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder if he did. He doesn't really like to do those things. Did, did you notice, um, her dialogue was all like almost all overdubbed. Yeah, that often happens. Let's let's talk about her for a minute. How how do you feel about Melina? I mean, we've talked about her character, I guess, her uh her her plot we like a lot. But mm-hmm. what about the actress? What do you think, Dad? She was fine. I'm <laughs> I, I I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't go out and you know and say I'm gonna go watch all of uh, her her movies or anything like that. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Like there was once, oh, it was actually in the chase when uh, Bond did some kind of quip when they're going down the hill, and she like had a genuine laugh. I'm almost wondering if the care if the actress broke for a second, and that was like the most energy we got. Did you notice that? The line was, uh, he says, it's always nice having a drive in the country. And then she laughs and it's, it's authentic. Yeah, totally. Oh, and I wanted more of that. And we didn't really, she was always yeah. like quite, I mean, I get that she's on a revenge thing. Her parents were just killed, but still she's very stoic the whole time. Well, and with the overdubbing too, I wonder if there was some kind of issue with, with her or something like, yeah, cause it, I, I, I felt like she looked good and she portrayed things well like generally but the dubbing like got it was really noticeable it was distracting for, for you eh? i didn't yeah. really notice i i often do like you know we talk about it nearly every episode the adr is very obvious often but i didn't notice it as much for her. i just thought mm. she was just kind of wooden but maybe it was that maybe <clears throat> but uh her 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 plot was again like to say the writing for this movie from a plot perspective the story structure was really good yeah. To- totally yeah she had a lot more character development than they often do and yeah like you said her very own plot <laughs> yeah and yeah. and a total badass weapon i like how she had <laughs> like she had her crossbow at the start and she when she killed hector and then they go where where were they again in the uh like winter area uh italy right yeah italy yeah okay and she goes shopping for another crossbow <laughs> Like that, <laughs> totally her weapon of choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was my favorite? She did have a good, good line there. It wasn't really a great line that she delivered, but it was kind of clever where they're about ready to climb up the uh, monastery and, um, and Columbo there says, yeah, it's nothing but here but us five guys. Right. And she says, and one woman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget me, asshole. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a hell of a, of a location, eh? They sure shot that well. What, the monastery? Yeah, yeah. Like St. Cyril. What was it called again? 
St. Cyril's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find I love that. I was looking uh, up uh, Wikipedia. They're talking about that. It was actually a bit of a controversy. There was lawsuits and everything else over that. About the the monks didn't want to actually use any of the interior for it, but the the municipality said, "Hey, the, you guys may own the inside of the monastery, but we own the outside." Okay. Oh. And they were putting up like you know plastic bunting and stuff like that out the windows to spoil the shots and the whole bit. Like it was a thing. Oh man, that's too bad. Oh, wow. That that happened with uh, that happened in Goldfinger with uh, Fort Knox. They refused to let, like they could fly over top to get some shots, but everything else they had to create themselves. All the interiors and even a lot of like when they uh, blow up the fence and go inside, that they made all that at Pinewood. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. In this in this one, it's pretty obvious that the uh, like the interiors are clearly uh, like in a studio somewhere. I assume at Pinewood as well. But yeah, the exteriors are so cool. Yeah, the locales are, were really good here. This was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really liked the locations. Greece was beautiful. But, but yeah, this one, his, uh, his climb up was very creative and more suspenseful than you ever get in a Roger Moore one, I find. Like, it's a lot more uh, slowly paced and suspenseful. Like it's not yeah. on a train. It's not. He's not hanging from a plane. He's like slowly climbing up while the guy's trying to knock it off. And he does that shoelace thing. I I, I really like all of that. I I quite like the creativity of that. I don't know if it's a stunt or like a, I don't know what you'd call it, but I really like that whole sequence. Yeah, it was that was actually one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, outside of, outside of the Lotus. I mean, man, I'm not gonna always love the Lotus. Which I like the lotus that blew those guys up when you could even quickly see it cut and they turn into dummies and just go flying. I love that shot. <laughs> when I was a kid and that movie came out, that was the matchbox dinky that I had. Oh, yeah. What, nice. Was the, was the lotus. And both both those lotuses and then the lotus from whatever the other movie was, it had the fins on it that was amphibious. Yeah, Spy Who Loved Me. I was going to ask, if are you sure it was this one or the Spy Who Loved Me one? Because that's like the yeah, the one that turns into a sub and has the missiles and all of that. Yeah, well, it probably hmm. was the Spy Who Loved Me that I'm thinking of. But, I mean, that was the uh, that was my favorite dinky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, People either say the DB5 or the Lotus when you ask what their favorite. Like, the hardcore fans, they love that Lotus. I prefer the DB5 just a little bit. Just I like the look of it better. It's less of like uh, the DB5 to me is a bit classier or something. But the Lotus is so cool. <laughs> uh, I used to I used to draw the Lotus over and over again. I would draw it with pencil crayons the whole bit. Like it, it was a, it was a thing. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's the car, right? In the beginning. Yeah. The uh, the the sports car. There were two of them. There was the yeah. white one that blew up, and then and there then was the a reddish gold, reddish gold one. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, did you notice uh, when that first one blows up and then Bond is like, I hope you got a ride or whatever. Uh, and then it goes like you see her car and the music just changes to some like comedic cue. And I'm like, <laughs> well, oh, like, oh, is this the uncool car? Like <laughs> French Citrion, right? Like it's a, it's a little rinky dink car. It's like uh, complaining about the Yugo. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty silly car and a pretty silly <laughs> thing. To, uh, what did you say? I think we're getting out horsepowered. Yeah. <laughs> By Pujos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love. Yeah, I really like that chase, too. Yeah. I guess if I liked cars at all, I would get more out of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't. Know yeah, I don't about cars. yeah, I don't either. Really. I just I, most of what I, I know from cars. You're saying is from like this. Pujos and Lotus. I'm like, I don't know what you're on about, man. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Most of what I know, I know from these movies. <laughs> yeah, well, you you weren't a dinky car player uh, player, Adam, growing up. 
Not like, I had dinkies, but I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, they were just dinkies. Yeah, I remember trying to sell them at a at a yard sale. <laughs> That's all I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, one of these days, maybe we could do this for a special. Look up the rules to Baccarat or Chemin Affair or whatever. I have no idea what. I think I looked it up once. I have no idea what the hell is going on. And they spend minutes yeah. in these scenes and in many of these movies playing that freaking game. <laughs> and I understand French, but I still don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> that would be a good uh like live stream us just playing like shaman affair or whatever yeah instead well, of that looked like they were just playing blackjack to me that's it, what i kind of thought too it, no because uh in this version of baccarat the one of the players has the cards and is the dealer and you can ask for well it's similar to blackjack you ask for another card because that, that's when they say count or whatever it's always french Blackjack's not a French game. I, and they did say she plays a mean game of Chemin or something like that. They, oh, they referenced okay. yeah. the name of the game. That, I saw, It was uh, Christatos was like, oh, I'll like take my car. I'll go play a little Chemin. That's it. Yeah, yeah that was it. What did you think of him? Uh, or, well, actually, I want to ask Adam, since this was your first time, uh, how quickly till you knew he was the bad guy after having seen 16 of these movies? <laughs> Like, were, uh, were you on it right away as soon as you saw him, or did it take a little bit? No, I, I think it was when he said, like, oh, you might have to kill Columbus or whatever. I was like, well, I don't trust you. Right. Columbo, man. One of the best allies ever. <laughs> Columbo. Is that who you meant? I thought you might have meant Luigi. <laughs> Luigi's pretty funny, too, I guess. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I mean, I forget why I like him so much. Maybe it's just the pistachios. He's kind of funny. He reminds me of Draco. Good actor. Uh, mm. And it, it was a twist, maybe. Uh, Luigi was also funny. <laughs> yeah, I liked Luigi. What did Bond say when they were in that winter town? He's like, uh, I'll meet you later. Okay. He just <laughs> just took yeah, off. Just, no no just, questions just, asked. Oh, my gosh. Like, whatever. Yeah. And, and he left him in the car and he says, don't play with any of the buttons. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets murdered. And he gets his, yeah, his throat slit. <laughs> Where was the burglar protect that time, though? Yeah, exactly. Poor Luigi. I guess he would disengage it so Luigi wouldn't blow up. Sure, sure. Uh, before I go back to Cristados, again, I know we talk about it all the time with M, but it wasn't even M this time. It was the chief of staff and uh, the minister of defense or whatever. Such dicks to Bond, always. <laughs> oh, yeah. Key was really dickish to him, too. It's so funny. Like, he's always saving the day. Why are they so so awful to him? Like, try not to muck it up, 007. <laughs> that was a good impression. It's just so... Uh, like cliche hoity-toity british snob <laughs> well that's the role that there that that it is right yeah totally you know it's the obi-wan kenobi kind of role right right but like obi-wan would give two shames and one really nice compliment like these guys never throw bond a bone very rarely <laughs> yeah. yeah until the very end when we introduce you to the prime minister interrupt her cooking her husband dinner <laughs> so bad yeah that's gonna be funny forever oh man it's so awful yeah. that also like i said doesn't fit yeah that was very was it moonraker when they try to call him and he's like sleeping with the lady on in spaceship that's right yeah it's really similar to that yeah. yeah funny so uh yeah the the actor who played uh 
Cristados, I was asked, we got to point that out. Julian Glover, uh, you didn't recognize him right away, eh, Adam? No, but I'm not a diehard Game of Thrones fan. Right. So do you know what else he was in, Doug? Uh, not offhand. Do you reckon, so he was the... I recognize, I recognize the name, so... R- right, so he's a villain in a Bond movie. He uh, commands one of the Star Destroyers in either Star Wars or in Empire, like either in A New Hope or Empire. Empire Strikes Back, he's General Veers. So it's in Empire, yeah. He commands one of the Star Destroyers. He's Grand Maester Pycelle in Game of Thrones, and the villain... Uh, and I forget his name. Walter it, Donovan. Donovan in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So he gets to be a villain. Also, he's Aragog the Spider in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. There you go, man. So he's, yeah, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Indiana Jones, James Bond, and whatever the other yeah. one. It says he has appeared frequently on television as a guest uh, in Avengers, The Saint, Thriller, Doctor Who, Blake Doctor Seven, Who and too. Remington Steel. Wow. So there's another connection. Because that's uh, yeah. Brazi's show. Exactly. That's well, so funny. Brazi's wife at the time was Lizelle. The actress plays Lizelle. Which one? She, oh, is she the... Uh, oh, really? She's the, the countess. countess? Yeah. You know, the. I, I knew that his wife was in one of the movies. I didn't realize it was this one, or I, or I forgot. That's pretty great. Cassandra Harris? Yeah. Hmm. The uh, stunt person who did that scene the when she got hit by the car apparently i don't know if this was one of the fatalities but was severely injured i remember hearing that like it was a really bad uh stunt like it went wrong like that what you just saw actually happened (laughs) oh my gosh yeah it's a pretty unfortunate stunt it sucks how often that has happened in these movies like these amazing stunts unfortunately often come at a cost (laughs) Apparently, Julian Glover was also shortlisted as a possible Bond for Live and Let Die, but lost to Roger Moore. Interesting. That's what this says. So I, like, that'd be a great trivia question, though, sometime. Like, who's the actor that has made an, an appearance in all of these beloved series? Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Well, gentlemen... Any other last thoughts? Feel like we covered it all, or what? I think there's um, something I was thinking about um, when I was, and I looked it up a little bit. The story structure irritates me when you don't see what the obvious story structure is, right? Mm-hmm. And I figured it out um, <clears throat> with a little help of Google, of course. <laughs> it's the the narrative structure of a Bond movie is actually more like a video game it's more following um game theory and if you think about mm. it if you think about this the the, the plot of a, of a bomb movie as a poker game or a card game it really takes turns moving a piece move counter move move counter move 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 counter move it gets a sense of how the the movies are put together it's yeah. actually quite interesting um the game taking the game theory approach to how they're plotted right because it is like he gets he has missions right like a game you'd have some quest or mission you need to complete and then like something happens yeah and you have to do the next one yeah it's it's not your typical three-act structure where you have a goal that's then accomplished and then another goal presents itself and a conflict or whatever like it, i mean those are there as well but often there's many of them or none at all <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, no, yeah. it just feels like like you're 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 playing through the level and you hit the bit of the boss at the end kind of thing. Yeah, right? totally. Because like the big, right. there's often a big twist or reveal, which is uh, in a traditional movie at like with 45 minutes left or an hour left to lead into the end, the last act and the climax with bond. It's often in the last 30 minutes when you figure out what the villain is actually up to. And there's a big twist and then it's just a really brief action scene. And then the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, there's no dark night of the soul or anything like that in any bond movie, right? There's no point where all is lost. Well, that's, I was just thinking there's, it's not like if there's even a twist or yada, yada, like it's not as emotional as it would be in a, typical movie it is kind of game like you're like okay so that's that mission and then you go to the next like usually thing. except for well like on a Majesty secret service or mm-hmm. uh casino royale a little bit skyfall there's some pretty heavy moments but yeah by and large you're right I'm trying to think if there's any other ones yeah game theory very interesting it is funny to look at it yeah. like that just got to reach the boss and then have the big fight <laughs> And you could definitely write a good essay arguing that. Yeah, for sure. Defeat the hench person who yeah. will or will not appear right after you think you've won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like bo- yeah. boss phase two. Think about Double Dragon, right? That old video game that you could memorize the uh, the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. So that's funny. Yeah, I like that theory. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, so in general, you're feeling all right. I mean, I know you didn't pay attention, but is Raji improving <laughs> in your light? You like him. It's just, I, I, I always forget what you don't like. Cause I often, like you said, I keep, um, telling, or I keep thinking that you hated like uh man with the golden gun, but you really liked it. I think it's cause live and let die was the first one and you hated that. Yeah. I didn't like live. I think I don't like the, the cheesy actiony stuff. Like, regardless. Right. But in terms of Raji's movies, I love the silly stuff. Like, that's why I love Octopussy so much. So funny, because Live and Let Die, the action is, like, my favorite part. I, like, those old 70s stunts and the 70s car chases, it's so cool to watch. <laughs> no. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, I, I love the car chases, especially with the Rocky music there and the whole bit. Like, it was fantastic. Yeah, exactly. 70s it's... cop show. Yeah. That's a great I, time to check Twitter. I don't like modern car chases as much whenever CG's involved, but those old ones, I don't know. I just find it so fun and ridiculous and campy and in a, in a good way. <laughs> the one car chase I remember liking that that comes to mind anyway is in Tomorrow Never Dies when he goes through his oh, you know, list the, of, of upgrades from Q. In the parking garage. Then, yeah, like the Mario Kart. Ask. Like, like that's fun to me. I don't care. Like, if you're just driving around, it's like, okay, whatever, man. The pre-title sequence in Quantum, which you probably don't remember, is like a renowned car chase. That one's really awesome, too. That's with for, um, for Buddy in the Trunk, right? Yeah, exactly. And they go through the quarry. Yeah. Yeah, that one's really cool. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. I think that was for your eyes only. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me along. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming by. You'll have to join our, uh, if we do this anyway, the finale party where we have a bunch of guests over. Oh, that sounds like fun. It might have to be, uh, depending on where Adam is, it might have to be a online meets thing, but or something like this. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll see when that. We'll do. We'll do uh, martinis, virtual martinis. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, follow us on at 007 Bon Voyage on Twitter and Instagram or email us at 007 Bon Voyage at gmail.com. Please send us some questions. We wanted to do a bonus episode Q&A kind of thing. Uh, so it'd be great to have some cues so we can give you A's. <laughs> Until then, uh, I guess we will return with uh, Spy Who Love Me next week. Bon voyage, everybody. Bon voyage. You can do one too, Dad. Bon voyage. Bon voyage.